Welcome to a most presidential episode five of Cigar City Radio. I'm your host, Randy Ojeda, still in shock from the Cubs World Series win. And making the magic happen is a very sleep-deprived Jason Solanez. I am still here. Yeah, chugging uh, Mountain Dew in one hand, coffee in the other. Literally. (laughs) Yeah, that's how we do it. To keep up with the show, hit the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Cigar City Radio. If you have questions, you can email CigarCityRadio at gmail.com. Our guest this week is Jay Cridlin, the music critic for the Tampa Bay Times and TBT. He's also the editor of Soundcheck, a blog about music and concerts in Tampa Bay. He's a super down-to-earth, cool guy, very knowledgeable on all genres of music, and it was great to chat with him for a while. Jay actually wrote some articles about bands that we were in way, way back in the day. So it's almost like we've come full circle here. So thanks, Jay, for being on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Jay Cridlin. That's at J-A-Y-C-R-I-D-L-I-N. So here it is, episode five. shows there's great festivals but i feel like there is more that can be done to really like sort of elevate the scene here and talk about the artists that are coming through and what's actually going on behind the scenes in tampa which is something i feel like a lot of people might be interested in but there's not really a platform for it yeah and podcasts are good for that i love podcasts like them vastly more than radio and tv hits um just because i like the conversational aspect of it and i look forward to seeing what you guys do in the future because I, i think there's certainly fertile terrain to have good long public conversations about uh, this area and not just music, but every aspect of the culture here. Yeah. And that's, that's really it. You know, I want to be able to talk to artists in a longer form than just, they get their stuff posted on a blog and then, you know, maybe get one quote that they emailed or something in there, but to really be able to hear from an artist or hear from a band about what was going on behind the music and what they were really thinking when they were working on it, or just what their experience has been like. Like I found, you know, in working with bands that, musicians tend to be really interesting people, you know, because you're traveling all over the country in a lot of circumstances and meeting all these new people and doing cool stuff that not everybody else gets to do, you know, so. Uh, yeah, and, and you're in a position, I think, bringing, bringing acts to town and being in Ybor City where so many touring acts come through, mm-hmm. um, you, you can have more interesting conversations that you wouldn't ordinarily get to have in other formats. Like, for example, we do a lot of advanced interviews, like just phoners, with artists who are coming to Tampa. And we usually, we obviously do those a few weeks or months in advance just because you have to have that lead time to run them in print to advance the show. Sure. But I've gone back through our archives, like back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, artists would just have press conferences. You know, they would huddle with reporters, you know, for TV and radio and, and everything before their venue. There was a review that we ran or the Tribune ran of Jimi Hendrix at Curtis Hickson Hall, maybe. Mm-hmm. And just part of it is just quotes from Jimmy where he just hung out with reporters before the show. And it was a review slash story about this this 
guitar phenomenon that people were just kind of coming to know. And artists don't really do that anymore because there's not a whole lot to gain from it. You don't need that with the internet. Um, sure, you yeah. don't need to like grant a daily press conference with artists. Some still do. Garth Brooks weirdly still does it whenever he comes to a given town and sets up. He'll have like a daily press conference and talk to people one-on-one. <laughs> Garth but, Brooks specifically? Gar- yes, Garth specifically. <laughs> and he's like the only person who does it. But it would be cool to recapture that in some way, you know, when an artist comes through town to have like a one-on-one conversation, even if it's like 15, 20, 30 minutes, yeah. um, just to be able to get them to talk about life on the road or something. Some of those stories, it, you know, you, you can only do so much over the phone, but when you get them in a room and can actually talk with them, sometimes it becomes a much more fascinating conversation. That's definitely true. And they get to see a little bit of what Tampa is about. I think that's one of the reasons why we do the podcast here in Ybor City is, you know, this is where Tampa history is based out of. So, you know, when we have an artist come in, they walk through Long Ash Cigars right next door where, you know, people are literally rolling up cigars <laughs> like as they walk in and coffee's being brewed and everything. And there's walking down the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. That didn't make the final cut, but we actually had a l- quick conversation with Jeremy Greenspan from Junior Boys about the chickens. Yeah. He was like, is that a thing? Is that really a I, thing? I love seeing when touring artists Instagram the roosters on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when they pass through. They're like, yeah, yeah it's Tampa. And yeah. yeah they, Everybody probably thinks they're the first person to Instagram the rooster <laughs> when they tour through town, but it happens a lot. I wish I knew the the history of why Ebor City is infested with yeah, roosters. I should know that too. It should be part of like a, a Tampa Bay citizenship test or something. Yeah, yeah, that's something that you you guys should put together at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. You've basically always worked for the Tampa Bay Times, is that right? Pretty much. I uh, grew up in Virginia, and then I went to college at uh, Wake Forest in North Carolina. And um, I had a buddy that went to Wake Forest. Oh, yeah? When, when, yeah. Did, when did you graduate? I couldn't tell you the year. I visited Wake Forest one time, actually, which was cool. And I went to go see him, and he had to go to class, and he like left me at one of the bookstores or something, mm-hmm. you know? And I was there for a little while and then I left and when he came back to find me he told the you know the clerk or whatever was like did you see a Cuban guy around here and she was like what is what does a Cuban guy look like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I realized like there's not a lot of Cubans <laughs> not, in in uh, Winston-Salem North Carolina. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a nice campus it's a very small school it's kind of secluded even though it's in a big city it's it's set yeah. apart from the city it's it's kind of secluded and small and I, I worked for the college paper there all four years and that's basically the main thing I did and had a couple internships uh, got turned down for the an internship at the Times a couple times uh, but then after when I was getting ready to graduate I applied for a very super low-level job at the Times and got it, came down, started my life. Been with the Times ever since. That's amazing. So so did you always know that this is what you wanted to do was to cover music specifically or just you just knew you wanted to work for a paper? Yeah, it was the latter. I, I never had really any aspirations of being a critic. I wanted to, as I've always said, make a living putting words on paper, whatever that entails. And when I started at the Times, I knew I wanted to write. My first job wasn't specifically writing. It was like kind of clerking, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I ended up writing a lot. They were very nice. They gave me some assignments, and I ended up writing a, a ton by the end of the year and um, became like a general assignment reporter out in our Brandon Bureau. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after a couple of years of that, the Times launched TBT, which uh, local folks know. It was a, started out as a weekly tabloid publication aimed at folks in their 20s and 30s, and uh, they had an opening for a reporter. And I went over to that and just covered entertainment and features because I really wanted to write features or like some kind of column or just anything in the features world. I also wanted to be an editor. And after a couple of years of being a writer in TBT, I became the editor of their like entertainment section and then did that as like a writer-editor hybrid mode for a few years. And during that span, we launched a music blog, Soundcheck, 
Yeah, right on. And uh, I, I was in charge of that. It was sort of an offshoot of, we, we did a, every year a local music guide that was sort of like a, we tried to make it a, an encyclopedic guide to local bands and we just realized we didn't have a good format for it online. So we started this blog and I did that for a few years. Yeah, and that was pretty ahead of its time, Soundcheck. I feel like that's the kind of thing that more papers around the country are starting to do now is like have more of a blog component to the paper itself and something that's a little more current like local music and things that are updating you know yeah well i there were there were some like some some larger publications were doing it and i i felt bad that we we didn't really have that we sort of did we had like a a bit of a music blog at the times i think the trib may have had one creative mm -hmm. Loafing force did a bunch of stuff right we, we would do a lot of advancing shows where we might do an interview with somebody but we wouldn't cover as much and i felt like there was just a lot that was getting glossed over and we didn't really have a channel or outlet on our website that uh, sought to cover that in any meaningful way, and I thought, well, we can we can do this. Why can't we? Because uh, yeah. other other publications are. And if I if I was a reader in this town, I would want a site that, you know, if nothing else, just told you what cool bands were coming to town or when yeah. a big band. Because I, I hate that feeling so much of when you just find out an artist was in town and you didn't know about it. Yeah. And people today still tell me that that they didn't know a show was last night or something like that. I didn't want that to be the case with us. I wanted us yeah. to at least let people know when a show was coming to town. So. That's kind of what we went after. We're just concert announcements, reviews of shows that we weren't ordinarily reviewing, artists, local artist spotlights and stuff. And it evolved from there. But yeah, I think it became a pretty useful resource, I hope, for, yeah. for, for Tampa Bay. Well, it was, it was useful for me, actually. I, my first bit of, I guess, major press, if you will, as a local artist coming up, and this was in 2010, you know, so that was in a band called The Cruise. Mm -hmm. And Soundcheck wrote our first, like, we were artist of the day in 2010. And that was a really big deal for us. Especially when you're a young band and you're just starting out, like you don't even know where to go to get press. The blogosphere wasn't what it was, where you know people can just email Pitchfork or Consequence of Sound or something. So right. I think actually our friend who was our photographer at the time, Tristan Wheelock, mm, yeah, know, yeah, he yeah. He, um, he recommended us to you, and I guess you liked it and yeah, posted yeah. it. <laughs> we, we used to do the artist of the day thing a lot more. I, it became kind of too time consuming as, as the. As, as print journalism changed a lot and we all had to do like so many jobs more than we used to, I ended up not not being able to do it every day. Boring day-to-day -day scheduling kind of reasons. But originally, like we that's what we wanted to do was have an artist of the day every day just because there's literally hundreds of local artists out there that most people don't know. Yeah. And uh, like a concert of the day, announce shows and cover shows that we ordinarily wouldn't. And it's evolved from there into some some interesting things. But for a few years, we really just sought to learn as many artists as we could. And, and I say we, but I, me and some other freelancers and, and colleagues. But we, we tried to learn as much about as many different types of artists as we could. And is Soundcheck, is that still going now? Are you still working on that in your sort of double duty as the Times critic and at the TBT or? Yeah, I mean, the Times and TBT basically share share content for yeah. the most part. Um, the TBT shortens it. They make it fit in a, a different size product and repackage it a little bit differently. Um, it's not a total overlap, but it's the TBT's mission is still the same. Uh, it's aimed at younger readers. Now I cover music exclusively, music and, and some pop culture. I, I kind of use Soundcheck as a home base. It's just my little channel to like post breaking news and announcements and concert reviews, whatever else kind of trickles up, interviews, like bonus interview segments that can't fit into print. It does well in terms of like visitors and, and, and stuff. So people still seem to be reading it, I guess. Like I said, I, I would not want to live, I don't think, in a major metro area that didn't have, on you know, 
their, their, their huge daily newspaper didn't have somebody who was on some level engaged, you know, and uh, had a blog or a channel or something where they just weren't posting news. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm the best at it. I feel good that at least the Times is paying attention in some, in some way. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, obviously, they're, they are paying attention because it's pretty recent now that you took over for Sean Daly, I think it was, at the Times as the pop culture music critic. Right? Yeah, Sean was our, our music critic for a number of years, and he was awesome, one of my favorite writers at the paper. Yeah, he and, was great. Uh, he ended up shifting into a different role at the Times, covering like uh, retail and business. And I, uh, since I was doing soundcheck and covered a lot of music, uh, anyway, I just sort of stepped in and covered whatever void there was with him him gone. And then he, he got a job on HSN and uh, a TV job. And um, he left and the critic job opened up and I just kind of stepped in. And it felt like an extension of what I was already doing as a writer. But before in TBT, I was a writer and editor. And it, it, the way I describe it is it felt like I was like 60% of a writer and 60% of an editor, um, which adds up to 120%. Right, right. So I was killing myself but not really doing any one thing to the best of my capability, I think. So this allowed me to focus what I was doing and just you know kind of hone my writing a little bit and um, write a few bigger stories, spend some time doing stuff that I couldn't do when I was chained to a desk all day long. And it's worked out for it fairly well, I think. Yeah, and that's cool. So you like get to go out to more shows now? I get to go to probably more shows, I guess. I, I was covering a lot of shows before, but it's it's different because you know the bigger shows. Sean, our, our critic, would cover usually. Like if uh, you know Beyonce came to town, he would cover Beyonce. Yeah. Or um, uh, what's it, what's another? Good, I I don't know. Just any any big show at the arenas or amphitheaters, he would probably cover. That would free me up to cover some smaller shows that he wouldn't be covering. Right. Now that I'm covering a lot of the big shows, I can't cover as many of the smaller ones as I would like to because I can. I realistically can only you know go out to three or four nights uh, shows a week and, sure, and still yeah. work a full like day. Yeah, you know no, that sounds office. like a lot. So I, I'm not getting to see quite as many like smaller shows as I would like, but um, but I fit them in whenever I can. And uh, tonight I'm uh, I'm covering show in Ebor and tomorrow as well. And so so I, I try to fit in as many different kinds of concerts as I can. It's not so much as I'm seeing more; it's just I'm seeing all of the big ones and. And maybe fewer of the smaller ones, but still getting a pretty good healthy dose of live music in, I hope. That's awesome. Do you prefer the big shows or do you like going and seeing the small shows? I like it all. There's no sort of rhyme or reason behind it. I just like, I like going to live music in general and I'll go see anybody, which you kind of have to do as a, when you're writing for like a mainstream daily paper, you have to go see the country acts and the pop acts and occasional metal and EDM show and all the pop stuff and classic rockers and people who might be on their final tour and you kind of have to want to see all of it which I, I do I, I like a lot of different kinds of music and uh, so I'll, I'll go see anybody it's not that I love one show like one type of artist really more than the other um, I've seen some amazing shows with like five people in a bar that were just mind-blowing and then definitely shows that just seem like works of art technological achievements that I can barely describe yeah. um, that did you, did you have tens the, of thousand fans did you go to the Kanye tour that yeah, Kanye was amazing. Yeah, he's like really blown minds with what he's doing on stage. It's just he is. incredible. Do you know though? I I didn't love uh, I didn't love his new album, and uh, I don't I don't like Drake, but I thought Drake's show was mind blowing as well. Yeah, like, I, I don't I don't care for his music all that much, 
but his show was technologically just it was it was incredible as well and yeah. it was one of those where you just look up and you're like oh my god this is crazy what he's doing it's like Kanye level or Taylor <laughs> Swift or Beyonce yeah. the, tech, the technology is so so crazy so those two shows which were like within two or three weeks of each other just I, in my in my mind they they create some uh, phantasmagorical technological wizardry that I, I conflate but yeah. um, really look back fondly on I feel like somebody needs to carry on the torch that was started by like these big bands in the eighties with these mega spectacle arena shows. And there aren't as many like arena bands coming forward. Right. So I guess in many ways, pop music and rap music has sort of taken on that mantle of like Kanye is going to do the big arena shows. Drake's going to do the big arena shows where you're not going to see as big of a show from another sizable yeah. <laughs> rock band. You know? I don't know why that is. I mean, Kanye's I thought was very artistically presented. Like he, yeah. he had that floating stage, of course, the light from from the stage was shining down on this mosh pit below the stage. So he was kind of shadowed, like in the shadows, and all the, the light was focused on these people like slamming into each other below. And I think the crowd fed off that throughout the arena. So you had these 16, 17,000 people that were taking their cues from the moshers in the crowd rather than Kanye, which I thought worked so, so well and was an, a surprising way to, to subvert what you think you're going to get from a live music experience. Especially somebody like Kanye. Like, you'd think it'd be, yeah. he'd be front and center, you know? Yeah, well, the best <laughs> thing about that was he went off on this rant on Kid Cudi. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, which and that was of, here, yeah, yeah. It was here, and that's, like, what you want from Kanye. Like, right. you want to, you live to hear Kanye do a rant live and in person. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's the greatest thing. I was out of town for that show, so I missed it, but it was funny to wake up the next morning and see all the blogs that I usually read, you know, writing about Tampa and the Kanye show at Tampa. At least he picked our city, I guess, to go on <laughs> one of his more legendary rants. That, you know? that happened, you might have, you may have seen with the Amy Schumer show too. That yeah, was I was going to ask night. you about that. What was going on with all that? Uh, I covered that one and she went off on a, a bit of a tirade against Trump. She called a Trump supporter up on stage to sort of debate. And um, Really? Some people ca captured on video, but we also wrote about it. I had a review, and another Times writer wrote a little thing about it. And for whatever reason, these things go viral, and that one did, and um, just blew up all over the world. It, it was, again, one of those weird situations where Tampa is at the center of the pop culture universe for a 24-hour news cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was cool to see, too. It just happens sometimes. That's always been sort of my argument for covering these big shows. Um, you never know when something from a show is going to happen that's news, you yeah. know? Like, there's plenty of huge shows that we don't cover. I mean, you, you just can't cover them all. Otherwise, you'd only be going to the amphitheater and the arena to cover these shows. But, right. there, you know, if 10,000, 15,000 people show up to something and something newsworthy happens and goes viral, you want to have somebody on the scene to report about it. So it may just seem like we're, we're going and checking out music, but to me, as somebody who got into this business to be a reporter, like, that's what I want to be able to capture. You know, when the Great White Fire happens in Tampa, whenever that happens, hopefully it will never will. Hopefully it never, yeah. You want somebody there on the, on, on the scene who can kind of write about it or be able to you know, present that news to the public. Yeah, and I think that's really true where you really are a reporter. You know, I mean, we talk to a lot of people who are bloggers, and I always say, like, it's not to say anything bad about blogs because I think they definitely serve a purpose in pop culture in general, but it's a very different thing when you're dealing with somebody who has, like, studied this and is a journalist as opposed to somebody that's, threw up a Tumblr page and it's just posting about their favorite bands. Yeah, but there's 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 pros and cons to everything. I mean, I didn't get into this business to be a critic. I, I got into it to 
be a newspaper writer and a newspaper person. But the people who start blogs and tumblers and who are super passionate about it and go to shows every night and love music to the degree that their heart can barely stand it, that's the passion that you want to see in people who are covering music as well. Like the, yeah, you, you want true. that knowledge and passion and people that just bleed for music all the time. Um, and I'm a big music fan. I love going to shows and stuff. I don't, I'm sure, have the encyclopedic knowledge of <laughs> like any one artist that super fan would have. You know, I don't know. I've heard you're a pretty big Radiohead guy. <laughs> I'm a Radiohead nerd for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, like journalism, basically for me, newspaper reporting is you. Whatever you write about that day, you just got to become an expert on it immediately and just spend some hours boning up on it and studying up on it and be able to turn it around pretty quickly. So, And after enough years of doing that, you sort of build up a bank of knowledge to where you can do it even quicker than a couple hours. You can do it fairly quickly. And yeah, especially when you're covering similar topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even with Radiohead, my favorite band, I, I couldn't, like, you put me in a Radiohead trivia off, I probably would not, <laughs> I would well, not succeed. There are some insane Radiohead fans, though. So yes, that that's would be, for sure. That would be a tough one to, to beat. So I would challenge anybody though to a replacements off. That is that's my favorite band. And now oh, yeah. it's like suddenly the replacements are like this thing where everybody loves them again. I've I've always dug that band and I feel like I could maybe maybe win a replacements off. Did you see their I, tour? The I did. I caught there? them in Chicago when they were at Riot Fest. So that was a really cool show. And How it was, was it? Were they like into it or like not yeah, so much? It was, it was kind of a blur because that day specifically, it rained the entire day and I made my um, now wife, she was just my, I don't even know if we were engaged at the time, but um, I made her basically stick around at Riot Fest all day <laughs> in the rain, in the cold in Chicago, you know, to, uh, to see the replacements. And when they went on, it was like, they were, they actually sounded somewhat tight, you know, like they sounded good, but they still just had that sort of, ridiculous swagger that they have and it was uh it was a great show that to me if if i can point to like that one concert that i'll always put as you know one of my top things is the replacements yeah you know, that's cool I, so, I would love to see them but i don't know if they're ever going to tour again it doesn't seem like it yeah. it looks like it's getting less and less likely which is another reason why i just got lucky that i was in chicago at the time they were playing but i probably would have driven a sizable drive to see them if I, if I didn't have any other option. You Since know? you've seen them, so, do you have what other bucket list bands do you have? Do you have any? Uh, man, uh, you, you know, because I've seen Radiohead, who's another one of my favorite bands. I saw them at the Amphitheater years ago. It must have been right after the... Uh, In Rainbows, I saw that. Yeah, show. right after the In Rainbows yeah. album. I guess a more recent act, I'd really love to see Frank Ocean. Mm. Um, just because he, I think he's one of the few pop culture artists right now. You know, he's doing, he's really legitimately doing his own thing. Um, and I think that's rare in a day where things are sort of packaged and, and sold to you in a certain way. Uh, what about you? Any, um, any bucket list bands? Especially since, I mean, you've been to every show yeah. ever, it seems like. <laughs> I've, been, I've knocked a lot of them out the last few years. Um, not too long ago, I saw the Dandy Warhols, which was a bucket list band for me. Oh yeah, I, I like awesome. a lot of ba just bands from the '90s when I I kind of grew up and would love to see more of them. Like I, I would love to see bands like the Cardigans and the Verve, who I I love and both I think are completely underrated in this world. Um, but they're not really touring anymore, so who knows? Maybe a reunion tour like yeah. years from now. But in terms of like major major bands, 
No, I've gotten to see a lot of them in the last few years. That is one of the good things about this job. I, you get, also get to see a lot of bands that you never had any intention of going to see and <laughs> sure, yeah. would not on a, on a Friday night if that was your choice. But, uh, but that's fun, too. I, there are plenty of artists that I would never consider a bucket list act, but I'm still very jazzed that I got to see. I, it's cool to say you covered Barry Manilow. I never would have True. loved to have seen it, but <laughs> I never would have bought a ticket to it probably. But it was cool to see him perform. And yeah. You know, I, I'd have Barry Manilow on the podcast if yeah. you wanted to come back. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be a good guest. I talked to him. He was he was a wonderful, lovely telephone interview. It was great. That's really cool. Yeah. So a lot of these interviews you do over the phone, like before the bands come to town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, their publicist will reach out, or sometimes we'll reach out to them and say, "Hey, is there any chance this person would be available for an interview?" And there's no real rhyme or reason to it other than you look at the schedule and see what else is going on. Do, do we need a a weekend section cover story that week. Uh, is this person available? Well, it'd be cool to talk to this person. Where can we fit this in? How can we make this work? And uh, that just kind of happens when you're a really big newspaper. <laughs> yeah, people, it, yeah. We're lucky that we get to do that. And um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I don't feel like I'm starstruck by it. It's just, it's interesting to talk to artists and find out their process and just how they see the world. And, and once you do enough of them, you... Uh, you, you realize that they're just people too and they like talking about some things, other things they don't love talking about. <laughs> right, yeah. You just try to write questions that uh, that sort of skip those topics. And it's for me, it's just all in the prep. Like there have been times when I've had to do just hours and hours of research just to prepare for like a 15-minute interview. Um, I interviewed Chick Corea recently and um, jazz legends, you know, people, just highly revered keyboardist who's released like 100, 150 albums in his career and... I, I like Chikoria, but I would have no idea where to start asking him an intelligent question. So I basically spent a whole day preparing, just yeah. reading books and, and articles and past interviews and listening to music and just doing nothing but prepping for a phone interview with Chick, um, which is just where that's, it, that's just the job. You got to prepare yeah. as much as you can to get good, good questions down. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm lucky then that we're doing a podcast and not <laughs> a publication because I am not about that prep. Obviously, I'll, I, I like to know the artists that we're interviewing and listen to their music and be familiar with them. But I prefer to just sort of sit down and see where we go. Well, that, that is ultimately, <laughs> yeah. that's the goal ultimately, is you want all this preparation to feel so seamless that you can just have a conversation with the person. I mean, yeah. it, it for somebody like Jay Korea, who has done God knows how many interviews over 50 years, I couldn't just sit down and have an intelligent conversation about him because I'm not that, I'm not as familiar with his music, but, um, but once you do a little bit of research and you can just sort of engage them on a uh, some sort of personal level uh, and, and just have what sounds like a total like laid-back conversation like we're having now, that's the ultimate goal. Obviously, Tampa's never going to be L.A. It's never going to be New York. It's not going to be one of these big cities. But I, I feel like Tampa gets overlooked too often as a city where there's great musical events and you know we got Gasparilla Music Festival and like Tropical Heat Wave and cool stuff that goes on here and also nearby now like the Okeechobee Music Festival is happening what does Tampa need to do to be sort of in the same breath as like an Austin or an Athens Georgia or like one of these cities that is sort of a a fringe music city? It's a good question, and it's hard because Tampa is a bit of a melting pot, um, both demographically and musically. I think you have a lot of little clusters of scenes that that do very cool things, but I don't know that Tampa's known for any one particular thing. I, I think people who live here and spend time here and even tour through here have a... <laughs> have, they, they learn that Tampa's got a lot of cool stuff going on, but... Uh, but people who are outside this area still probably think of just Tampa as a, a 
dirty kind of palm trees, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously Tampa's got, you know, we got sports teams, you know, we got the Lightning and the Bucks and the Rays. We've got like Outback Steakhouse and stuff. Like, I think that's the outside's perception of public, but, uh, of Tampa. But, um, you know, an event like the Gasparro Music Festival, it, which kind of showcases and packages the best and coolest elements of Tampa, brings people in from outside the area, sends them out on their way with a much cooler image of the, the awesome stuff that we have to offer. And I think that helps spread the gospel of what this city can do. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, what we see, need to see more of going forward and more people going out and supporting those things too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's becoming an area that, that people are just discovering, you know, with, with more people who pass through here. Um, I, I live in St. Pete, and I, I, the word's definitely out on St. Pete. It's being <laughs> yeah. very hipster, uh, like a hipster area. Yeah. Um, to the point where, what what can they add? You know, what can downtown St. Pete actually add that would that would do it? Maybe up here, or maybe <laughs> well, not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, I think we're just good with a giant pile of rocks and rubble out in the, out the water for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, like St. Pete would be, to me, is an ideal situation. Like that's a good place where if there were to be a, a multi-venue music festival, it could be really cool because there's so many different types of venues there. Uh, it's like a citywide kind of thing. And there have been attempts to get that off the ground. There's this upcoming uh, at Cultura music festival. It's music and movies and arts and books and everything uh, that I think is trying to get at what St. Pete could do if all parties involved really got their set their minds to it. But it's a lot of moving pieces to get an event like that off the ground. It's, and it's probably easier to do in a place like Ebor, which has had success with it, um, at, uh, you know, with events like the Plan B Block Party and Tropical Heat Wave and things like that, uh, Prefest in Ebor. There, there, there are places in Ebor that it can work at very well, and I'd like to see that happen in St. Pete. I think maybe bringing a lot of people in from out of town to a music festival that covers all of downtown St. Pete, that is something that could really be a game changer that would be really cool yeah that'd be really cool to see and i know that i mean i guess you know vinoy park is where you kind of have like what warp tour and things like that are in vinoy park so i mean maybe you could do it there too yeah you could i mean you just you go down the list i mean state local foobar janice live throw the mahaffey in there yeah. put a couple outdoor stages one at vinoy one at like demon's landing has hosted a couple concerts in the past i mean there's a lot of places where you could kind of wedge stuff if all these parties were to work together even if you didn't do uh vinoy you could put a stage at Lang stadium and yeah it's all walkable, and if you kind of flesh it out with a headliner on a big outdoor stage and a lot of you know, sort of niche acts uh, in these other venues, and just spread it out over the course of a week, it could be a very cool thing. I mean, that's everybody's dream is to have their own South by Southwest in their city. Right, um, yeah. But, you know, St. Pete's a place that could, could do it. It's got enough cool bars and restaurants and craft breweries and music venues where it, the foundation is there, the... The logistics could could realistically come together and do it. Yeah, and I don't know why we can't just leave all the cool things for Miami. We have to have some cool things. Yeah, <laughs> like, we do. I, Tampa's got some cool things, and I think good and smart people running a lot of the major venues in town who understand that Tampa's going to be a hard sell compared to Miami, but are doing their best to to like make it work and become like a first play market for big time acts and. Even like Live Nation, which has got a host of issues, you know, across the, the country in Florida as well, really recognize this and try to do something cool with the Big Guava Music Festival, where they specifically yeah. went out and booked acts for that festival that would never come to Tampa and have not and will probably not come back. Um, your James Blakes and Ryan Adams and uh, Run the Jewels and just artists that would, would not have come there but for 
the deep-pocketed entity that was footing the bill. Um, and that, that festival bit the dust. You know, there were a host of reasons why, but they were they understood that there was some desire to have that here. Maybe this the right venue quite wasn't here, or yeah. I, there was something cooking, and it didn't take off, but there it, it could. It still could in the future. Yeah. Well, the deep pockets is definitely a big thing, because, I mean, yeah. it can't be cheap to put together an event like that, you know, but... I think that's. I think we're on our way, though. I know that there's you know bigger companies in general that are sort of moving into this area, and downtown Tampa is growing at a pretty amazing rate. Uh, you know, Jeff Vinnick's done a lot for the area. It's coming. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's 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 going to be there. Yeah, it's getting there. Like I said, I think the word's out on on St. Pete, and and Tampa's got so many cool things that that people maybe don't know because they're a little bit more spread out than yeah than than St. Pete's are. But you throw some of the businesses and entities in Seminole Heights with some of the ones in Ebor and some in downtown Tampa and just all over the place, and it's it's a lot of cool stuff. It's just not there's not a locus right yet to where Tampa has that district necessarily that's got the hipster veneer yeah. in downtown St. Pete's. Yeah, we don't have a Brooklyn yet. Don't yeah. have a Brooklyn. Central <laughs> Heights is kind of there, but it's also, you know, it, it's also a destination. Like, it, it's not the most walkable place in the world. No, and, I wouldn't uh, say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's there's a lot of awesome stuff there. And people, I think, again, who who come into town and tour and, you know, you've, you've probably experienced it with artists who, who come here and want a recommendation for a good bite to eat or a good, yeah. you know, someplace to get something to drink. Probably their eyebrows grow up when they realize how many cool things there are here. Sure. Um, because they just probably never thought about Tampa beyond Outback and the Buccaneers and things like that. Yeah, that's that's totally true. So you worked for the Tampa Bay Times back when it was the St. Pete Times, also the St. Petersburg Times. And what, what was it like when that, I'm just curious about how that change went about and why the change from St. Pete to Tampa Bay Times? What was the reasoning for that? I wasn't involved in the discussion. I oh, well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I read about it on, online like everybody else. It wasn't like some thing where they called everybody into a room and said, hey, from now on, in, in two days, we're going to start calling it the Tampa Bay Times. But it, it makes sense. I mean, like yeah, we all call this area yeah. the Tampa Bay area. You know, a lot of us do. And people, again, outside this area, not, you know, forget forget the arts, like multinational corporations think of this area as Tampa Bay, yeah. you know. So it, it makes sense. It's it's good branding, you know. Well, I, yeah. It feels more like, for lack of a better term, artisanal branding. Uh, if you to keep calling it the St. Petersburg Times, yeah, um, which it's cool, and there's something cool about that. But realistically, this is we, we I cover Tampa stuff as much as I do St. Petersburg, so yeah, it just makes sense to to call it the Tampa Bay Times. I think. Yeah, and that does make sense. I remember actually my business partner and I, Jason, and our friend Andy, um, the guy went to Wake Forest actually he we were at Channel Side the day that the now Amelie Arena used to be the the St. Pete Times Forum what became the Tampa Bay Times Forum and we watched them actually physically remove the letters St. Petersburg and replace them with the letters Tampa Bay it was kind of proud in a way being from this <laughs> side of the bay that was like yeah. yeah now we've we've taken over everything but yeah. um is also yeah. I, there are people in St. Petersburg who weren't happy about it, but I'm sure. it's the same paper. You know, we're all we're all doing the same job. It's just the the name on the front has changed. Yeah, but you're still based out of St. Petersburg. I'm still based out of St. Pete. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we have a pretty big presence in Tampa, but uh, and I, I worked in Tampa and Brandon for a long time. But yeah, I, I live and work in St. Pete now. That's awesome. We're about at our time here, so I just wanted to see is, is there anything else that you wanted to say for the you know, the Tampa music scene or 
uh, words of encouragement, perhaps, or anything to local bands that are that are trying to come up and trying to get on to Soundcheck or trying to get on to the Tampa Bay Times and get noticed by the local press? Sure. I listen to what people send me. So if, you, if you're listening to this and you want to send me music, please send it to me. Um, it, it may seem like we can't listen to and cover everything, and that is true. We, we, we can't. I can't. Um, there's just too much music out there. There's literally dozens of people playing music. Uh, in public every single night in Tampa Bay. There's no way to cover it all. I try to listen to everything that gets sent my way, and um, it's how I learn about new artists. And we do big stories about local artists sometimes, and I try to see them when I can in concert. And I'm always very happy when I see a band make it on a national level, especially when I, I know that we knew about them before that happened, which uh, has happened a bunch, you know. Um, sure. From from artists across all all different genres, whether it's uh, Polyenso and the hip abduction in St. Pete or Set It Off in North Pinellas or merchandise in Tampa. I, I think there were a lot of people who knew about them, you know, not just myself, but knew about them before they kind of got that national attention. And uh, to me, it's, again, it's another form of somebody being a cultural emissary from this area showcasing what what's in the water here. Yeah, and that makes more people want to come and see what else is in the water. Yeah, people's ears kind of point toward Tampa Bay and they're like, well, you know what, what else is going on? Who are your friends in the scene? What else is going on? How, how do you explain that scene to us? And then maybe it'll open the door for somebody else. And I think uh, when that happens, maybe it, it makes people here more interested to see those acts live, to go out and attend a record release show or check out their band camp or even buy a T-shirt or something like that. You know, That's very cool when I, I do get to make it to a local show and I see artists in that band's T-shirt or even another local band's T-shirt. Yeah. Um, that's just proof that people are, are supporting uh, local acts in this scene. That's all that we want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thanks for sitting down with us. Jake Kerlin, I know you got it.